Welcome to episode 58 of the Lace Em Up podcast, the first edition of 2017. Happy New Year, everybody. I'm Steve Ellsworth. Happy New Year. I'm Brett Dubo. And uh, apparently there are some outdoor games that happen. We're going to talk about that. Uh, also, have they lost their luster? Are they in danger of losing their luster? Uh, also, the World Juniors in progress. We know who's going to be squaring off in the semifinals. We'll give our analysis and predictions um, and our thoughts of the tournament overall. Uh, also, Columbus and Minnesota collided both on massive winning streaks, um, also set an NHL record, and uh, ticket prices through the roof as well. Um, and uh, also in the Are They For Real segment, we're going to be uh, talking about uh, the teams that we follow the most. That would be the Bruins and the Sens. Uh, also, at the end, we're going to talk about our favorite moments of 2016 in the world of hockey. Uh, before we do all that, though, uh, shout-outs to all the players past and present in the NHL who have worn number 58. Um, most notable is Chris Letang, obviously, the Pittsburgh Penguins. David Dayarnay wore number 58 for a few years. David Savard still does. Flames prospect Oliver Kylington uh, wears number 58. Uh, for a short time, Jeff Petrie, Patrick Borlo, right by Borlo, uh, guy you don't want to mess with uh, when he played for the Avs, fist of fury that guy had. And uh, in his year with the Chicago Blackhawks in 2007, P.A. Parento wore number 58. Frankly, I didn't even know he played for Chicago, so there's something you probably didn't know before. Anyways, to all of them, this podcast is for you. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. So, uh, Happy New Year, everyone. Um, the, uh, uh, the state of Ohio had a pretty good year last year um, in excluding 2016. Excluding the Cleveland Browns. Excluding the Cleveland Browns. And I guess uh, Ohio State didn't end in a great way. Uh, but, um, but you have your Cavs who won the championship. You had your uh, Cleveland Indians, who almost won the World Series. Um, and then you have, uh, and then here's our topic today, uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets. They won every game in December, um, and they now have a 15-game winning streak. They're first in their division. Um, they also First in the league, too, aren't they? First, I think they're first. Are they first in the league? I thought they I thought I know like, at one point last week they were. Um, I'm going to double check that pretty soon, but anyways, they're first in goals again, uh, goals four right now with 3.5. Um, hold on. Oh yeah, they are first in their, in the league too. Um, yeah, so they've, they've been pretty good. We talked about them a couple weeks ago. Um, but, uh, we're, uh, we're going to talk about them more cause they, um, it's kind of unprecedented that they got 15, uh, they have a 15 game winning streak right now. Um, their first, I just mentioned that they're first in goals per game with 3.5. They're third in goals against per game with 3.1. Um, so it's not, it's not like Bobrovsky, who's been good. It's not like, uh, they, um, have been super reliant on Bobrovsky, uh, to do well in order to win games. Um, 
like they've had in years past. He's a former Vezina winner. Um, but uh, it's also Cam Atkinson has uh, has had 17 points in this streak. Uh, that's nine goals and eight assists. Uh, that puts he also him, got two goals in that Minnesota game. Yeah, got two goals in that Minnesota game that we're going to talk about soon. Um, seven, uh, and that puts him at 13, 37 points overall. Um, and that puts him tied for eighth overall in points. So he's really getting into his own right now, um, which is uh, nice to see. Uh, former BC boy there. Um, and then we also have Alexander Wenberg, who has 14 points, which is four goals and 10 assists. Um, he's very much into assists, I guess, um, in this streak. Um, and that puts him 33 points overall. And that's all, I think that's also puts him in the teens for, um, for that, uh, for in the league, um, as well. Um, I guess we can start with, I know they have a crazy schedule this week, um, but, um, but like, uh, so do you think they're gonna do well um, throughout? Um, uh, I, I think th- I think their success is gonna continue. You know, yep. all good things are gonna come to an end. This winning streak is gonna come to an end at some point. Um, right. I think the most likely suspect to to knock them off is it would be Washington because yeah. their penalty kill, I think, is killed off something like twenty four straight. Uh, penalties, yeah. and uh, the Blue Jackets have a top five power play. So in a battle of special teams, something's got to give there. Right. Um, yeah, I'm, I, just, I, I, I'm just pulling up you, this. You never know how long this... Sorry, go on. Oh, sorry, continue. <laughs> you're, you're just cutting in and out there. Yeah, so. yeah, no, that's my bad. Okay. Go on. But it, it's, it's just that, you know what? Why why not? Why, why not extend the winning streak pass this week? I mean... During the streak, they have four point per game players. One of them is Sam Gagne. Right. Uh, and you look at all uh, you look at all the guys that probably a lot of people I think you probably alluded to this um, earlier in the season. Yeah. Um, the veterans that needed to be better and are getting better. I mean, yeah, Polino, Nick Foligno has fifteen points. Yeah. Hartnell's got eleven. Seth Jones has ten. Dubinsky, you've been harping on a little bit too. He has eight during yeah. this win streak. Yeah. Also, Brandon Saad's been good. Um, I was just looking at the points that like this, uh, standings for po- or points leaders and like Saad has 27, I think Foligno has near that as well. So, uh, they've been good too. They deserve some mention as well. Um, Hartnell's been pretty good too. Um, I'm just looking at their schedule quickly here. They play, uh, Edmonton tonight. We're recording this on Tuesday. Um, yeah. they play Edmonton tonight, so it could, it could be gone by the, um, by the time you're listening to this, um, if Edmonton wins, uh, they play Washington as Thursday on Thursday, as you alluded to. Um, then they play the Rangers on Saturday and uh, the Flyers on Sunday. So it is very possible that they lose one of those games. But then when you look at their streak or the teams that they beat in this streak, yeah. um, it's not. It's like it's pretty impressive. So you have like Edmonton, they beat Edmonton three to one. One time they beat Pittsburgh seven to one, which is probably their most impressive. They beat Montreal two to one, um, Calgary four to one. I don't know. I guess Calgary's not really great either, but um, yeah. they've they've beaten a lot of good teams in their mix of uh, Minnesota, as we mentioned before, four to two. Um, so 
It's um yeah, I mean I I don't see it happening, but again, they've been doubted their their entire season, so um I don't know, maybe it could go like twenty twenty in a row, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Yeah. It, it could be it could be an unprecedented run that yeah. you know, we might never see uh, for a good number of years. I mean, and it's just the way they've beaten some of these teams. Like Pittsburgh, yep. they carved them up. Uh, they chased Matt Murray from the net. Uh, the Jets, uh, the game before the Minnesota game, they beat them five to two. And yeah. It's just they they make it look too easy. Their their passes are crisp. They're on the tape. They're efficient. Yeah. Um, they very little hesitation when they make those plays, and. They just look like, for a young team, they're playing calm and cool and collected under pressure. And if you're not rushing to make a play, you're not making too many mistakes. Yep. And, you know, you can make the argument the Wild had a tougher schedule and their winning streak looked better. But just the way Columbus was able to handle some of these teams is really impressive. Yeah. And uh, just one quick stat that I wanted to point out. Sure. The Blackhawks have won 23 of their first 39 games. They won 10 of those games when leading after the first. Columbus had 16 victories when leading after one. They have 26 wins in their first 35 games. Right. So when you're when you're doing better in those kind of stats than a team that's won three of the last seven Stanley Cups, that's that's insane. Yeah. And what's also insane is the ticket prices for Saturday's game against Minnesota. I mean, the the rematch matchup that's going to happen in a couple of months. The ticket prices. For that one, start off um, as low as fifteen bucks, but prior to Saturday's game on SeatGeek section one fourteen, if you bought a seat there, seven hundred and seventy three U.S. dollars for one um, seat, and Glass Side one hundred four, according to StubHub, fifteen hundred U.S. dollars each. Other seats started for as low as one hundred and sixty bucks, right. and the cheapest ticket that was selling on Vivid Seats. 166 US dollars again 166 dollars for one ticket so that that's what uh, two teams that are going on record winning streaks when they collide that's 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 um, that that's what's gonna happen you know you, the, the ticket prices are gonna go through the roof and people are gonna pay good money to see it unfortunately for the people of Minnesota they're probably feeling ripped off because the game was in Minnesota and their team lost. But right. I, we, uh, it, it's just unprecedented because no other. Uh, I don't think it ever yeah. been done before where two teams with at least seven-game winning streaks uh, went head-to-head. Uh, I think it was like 12-plus winning streak or something like that. Yeah. But yeah. But, well, both these teams had at least 12 straight wins. Yeah, I know. It's so impressive. Yeah, no, it's. I don't think it's going to happen again, and on New Year's Eve, no less, um, yeah. as well as NHL was celebrating its hundredth years together. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think we'll ever see that kind of game again, um, which is pretty it's, cool. It's, it's kind of odd because, you know, two expansion teams from 2000, yep. one of which has never won a playoff series, you didn't expect these two to be a part of history. Right? No, exactly. But, I mean, it's good for the league. Um mm-hmm. You know, as we're about to talk about the outdoor games, it's like, you know, uh, NHL seems to rely a ton on the original six now. Um, but, you know, when you have, like, teams like Columbus and Minnesota that are doing well and they're getting fan bases um, excited about their team, um, you know, it's, it's great for the league. Um, you know, the more teams like that, the better. Um, 
So that brings us to the poll of the week question, where I asked, uh, where we asked, um, this might be the first one where um, there was only two options that you could answer to. Um, so what outdoor classic game are you looking more forward to? Uh, the Centennial one, which was Detroit at Toronto, or the Winter Classic. Uh, so this was on, I think I posted this on Wednesday. Um, and uh, the Winter Classic got 60% of the vote, um, and Centennial got 40% of the vote. Um, the Winter Classic was yesterday, Centennial was on Sunday. Um, so... Um, they were both pretty good games, although I guess the Toronto, the Centennial Classic actually was a little bit more exciting, though, uh, just mostly because Detroit, uh, well, Toronto was up 4-1, to one, and then Detroit came back in the third, um, and then Toronto scored again with um, Austin Matthews being a hero um, and getting that OT goal, probably his most important goal of, the, um, of his career um, so far. Um, I'm sure there will be more to come. Uh, I think he uh, he outpassed uh, Patrick Laine in points with that goal as well. So um, it was more special than that. Um, he got two some, goals, I think. Yeah, he had two goals, I think. Um, I think that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, 4-1, and then he scored the winner in OT. Right. And then, um, and then uh, St. Louis yesterday, um, it's – oh, it, this was also something that's similar in both games – the losing team scored first. Uh, yeah. Chicago and Detroit scored their first goal, and then there was a barrage of other goals for Toronto and St. Louis. Um, What's also interesting is that heading into these two Winter Classics, the road game was uh, the road uh, the road team was fourteen one uh, four and one, and the road team lost both games. Yeah, home team won both. And then, uh, yeah, and then it was uh, 4-1 for uh, both the home team got four unanswered goals, basically. Um, the only difference and is the that... the Superstar scored two of them. Yeah, and the only... Right, yeah, Teresenko and um, Matthews. Um, the only difference, though, is that Tur- uh, Toronto almost gave it up, but yeah. St. Louis kept that lead um, throughout, so... Um, yeah, it was good. I think we, uh, we I think we've talked about this before. Um, outdoor games are great, um, although I feel like they've lost their luster a bit, uh, just because they've been doing the same teams over and over again. Um, so we we would like to see like um, more teams like you know like Minnesota or Columbus, as we were just talking about Dallas, um, L A. Um, although I guess LA has had an outdoor game again, but yeah, the California teams have been California teams. A, a, a fair bit. But just, yeah, just like, Columbus, just teams that aren't that like, yeah. yeah, just not Chicago, Pittsburgh, Boston. As much as I want Boston in, but um, yeah, I, I'd be fine if you just spread the wealth around, basically, because um, I feel like that's the only way you can grow this league. Um, they're more like these classics are more like centralized, localized events um, instead of what they should be, which is national. Um, and but like if they are localized, then the best way to grow them is by having uh, is then working on uh, locations that need help, not like places like Boston or Chicago 
or St. Louis or whatever. Oh, although I guess St. Louis is an exception because they that was their first outdoor outdoor game. Um, so, um, but like Toronto had one. Detroit. We've already seen Toronto and Detroit play before, so yeah. um, it felt kind of like a weird rehash. They don't. I feel like the uh, NHL is better than that. So. And the Canadian markets, they've only been exposed to this five yep. times. And, and, and most of the time, the Can- it's been Canadian teams going against, you know, other teams from Canada, like Montreal right. and Calgary a couple of years ago. You had Edmonton and Winnipeg uh, earlier this year. Um, before, you know, you had Buffalo and Pittsburgh squaring off. I think it was in 03 or 04, yeah. it was Montreal-Edmonton. So, and, and then a couple of years ago, Ottawa played Vancouver in Vancouver. So right. it, it's whenever the Canadian teams get one, they're usually facing another Canadian team. This is the first time that a Canadian team faced an American team or, or hosted an American team in an outdoor game. I should yeah. I forgot about Montreal Boston last year, obviously. Yeah, but um, it, it's I like um, to forget about that one too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure a lot of Bruins fans would, but I, yeah. I, I like I like the outdoor games for a number of reasons, and they've really become a fixture because yeah. you look at the unknown talents or the talents waiting to make an impact do exactly that. Like Ty Conklin got three outdoor game wins. No one else has been able to catch up to him in that front. And a guy who only had one win in 26 games at two different levels one season, uh, who has now um, improved his GA significantly from four uh, that one season. It's now, I think, 2.5, 2.60 in that range. And, and he's got... Um, see 35 wins over the last two years with uh, grand rapids that would be jared coral and he only had four games of nhl right. experience as opposed to Morazic, who had over 100 games of nhl experience and he got the start and anthony mantha who had a lot of hype but you know a couple of bumps in the road over the past couple of years he's on a six game point streak 16 points in 22 games this year, and he's playing like the Red Wings' best player. Yeah. So I, I just love how these outdoor games, you get to see other people, you know, that don't have, you know, that Tarasenko height, that Austin Matthews type, that make an impact in these games. And I also like how the young players get to mingle with the alumni and how the alumni get to – um how the alumni get to play against one another, like from various generations. Yeah, the alumni games. Lanny McDonald and Gary Roberts playing on the same team. Like, this is all about the imagination of the fans, as Gary Bettman uh, alluded to before the game. And and these young players are maturing faster than ever um, compared to other generations. So I I like where this game is headed. This has really become a fixture. But I think... There, this game is in danger of losing its luster. Like, you put two teams together in a good venue, in a good spot that you know is going to draw a good crowd, yeah. they're going to fill the seats. Like, there are over 40,000 people filling Bush Stadium for the alumni game, right. for crying out loud. But, again, you're you're messing with matchups here. Like, Toronto-Detroit, as you alluded to, you saw, t- you saw them twice. Yeah. You need to buy the other markets time, and- the other markets that you haven't invested in yeah. yet. You need to buy them time. And I think you need to put a cap on these outdoor games, not because they've already lost their luster, but because they could if you continuously hype this idea three or four times a year. I think it should be one to two times a year. 
Yeah, I could see that. Although I think like uh, I think there's another one uh, with uh, Pittsburgh and Philly. Pittsburgh and Philly, so that'd be that'd be four this year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, like sh- teams like Chicago, this this was like their fifth outdoor game. Uh, Pittsburgh has like I think also has their fifth outdoor game too. Three or four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like I get it. Those team like those fan bases travel. They're probably the two most popular teams. Um, um in the NHL, but like, but when you think about it though, it's like, could the, uh, could they, uh, sell out like the Cowboys stadium or Jerry world? Um, I'm not so I'm not so sure. Um, that's, they probably could sell. I mean, they did sell out Dodger stadium, um, in LA. Um, so that might be the next, and like California hockey has made a huge, um, yeah. increase in fans the past mm-hmm. couple of years. But, um, so I think like California would be interesting to have a winter classic in, um, even though like, but uh, I don't know if it's, um, even though they've had an outdoor game and I know they have the Rose Bowl to deal with, but, um, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things that, um, there is a way to fix it, but I'm not sure. I think it's just more that NHL is fearing that they're not going to sell out these places that they may actually sell out in. So we'll see. Um, if you want to see Lane McDonald photobombing photos and yeah. Keith Chuck dabbing after he scores a goal, yeah. uh, I don't think it's going to be a problem drawing fans. <laughs> but like you said, it's the matchup factor. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's, and that's it's, another it's thing too. It fresh. That's what I'm concerned yeah, about. Yeah, and I think that's the other thing too is that like, they rely too much on the Blackhawks and their yeah. fans to travel when, you know, it's not, it seems weird because they've, you know, they've pretty much played in an outdoor game almost yeah. every year. Well, putting your eggs in one basket. Exactly. So they shouldn't do that, but whatever. Um, so um, speaking of an original six team and a Canadian team, uh, so we're doing an Are They For Real uh, since it's halfway point, we're going to do an Are They For Real section on our Bruins and Sens, um, just because, um, I guess, just as a halfway point measure kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, both the Bruins and Auto Senators are tied um, for a second in the Atlantic. Uh, four, they, have, uh, they both have 44 points. Um, the Bruins have twenty are twenty sixth in the league in goals per game. Uh, they're seventh in uh, goals against uh, per game uh, with two point four. So Tugarest has actually been pretty good. Uh, same with Carlo. Uh, the new newcomers of Brandon Carlo and Colin Miller. Um, they. Uh, I guess we're. I'll just do a quickly a Bruins sends segment, but Bruins. The, well, I'll just recap this week. Uh, they lost to Columbus, as we talked about with their streak. They had. Um, but they came. They came back three nothing down. Yeah, they came back from three nothing down, which is better than a lot of their the Columbus opponents had in this streak, but. Um, so that was good to see it, but, you know, I would have liked to see them win. Um, and then they had a home-and-home home, uh, with Buffalo, where they both they won both those games. Uh, they won 4-2 to two on Thursday, and then they won 3-1 to one 
on Saturday. Um, it looks like Bergeron might be back because he scored goals in both those games, but, um, you know, he's looked, uh, it looks like he's back. Um, also, Spooner had two goals in the uh, Saturday game, um, including the game winner. So um, it looks like uh, they are um, close to being, um, oh, I forgot the Carolina game on on Friday, um, where they lost, even though we had a three nothing lead. Um, but um, I think it was two nothing actually because you lost oh, yeah, two yeah. in overtime. I think. Oh yeah, good point. It was a, either two. way a lead. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. lost the lead. Um, and then, uh, but yeah, so the Buffalo game was kind of like a. Oh well, maybe we have our own streak. We're we're beating Buffalo. We kind of, it was probably our best hockey we've played. And then on Monday, stick to Buffalo. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then we've kind of forgot that it's like, oh right, this is Buffalo we're talking about. And then we play New Jersey, which we thought everyone thought was going to be an easy game. Um, although we've had a history of losing to bad teams, um, that was probably the worst game I've seen the Bruins play in a long, long, long time. Uh, we just didn't like. The, the only person who seemed to care um, was Tuca there, um, and we just let and they just let him out to dry. Basically, um, there was a couple of good moments with Colin Miller fighting um, a guy. I'm blinking on the guy he fought, but um, Miles Wood, I think Miles Wood, yeah, and he's like I think that was his first fight, um, but like overall, it was just like a. It was just a bad game um, for us, the Bruins. But so that uh, takes me into: Are they for real or not? Um, yesterday, I would have said maybe they have the potential to be. Um, like I'm kind of surprised that I'm still surprised we're in second place in our division. We should probably be like in the middle of the pack by now. Uh, but. Uh, now I'm just—I don't think we are for real um, at all. We're gonna probably slip down because if you can't beat New Jersey, if you can't—I'm like if you can't beat the Islanders um, a couple of weeks ago, we didn't beat the Islanders. We lost to Colorado a couple of weeks, even further back. Toronto was another team, although they've been better. Um, like if you can't beat those bad teams, like then I don't even know why. You know, it's like. We play well against, like, teams that we shouldn't beat. Like, we beat Montreal. We were close to beating Pittsburgh. But, and we beat, like, L.A. Um, we almost beat Columbus. Um, like, it, it's just it's just weird. Like, we're playing down to these teams. It seems, um, it seems like it's a sense of entitlement. Like, you've really got to work hard against yeah. those teams. And you look real good. But then you just assume the wins are going to come when you face a team that you probably should beat, and then yeah, they beat you. Exactly. That's that's the main reason. It's just that's we're not taking these teams seriously. I mean, it's it's yeah. kind of amazing that we beat Buffalo, um, but like that seems to be the only aberration. Like I'm just looking at all the losses, and like yeah, like we should lose. We should probably have lost to Columbus, um, uh, the uh, Anaheim, Pittsburgh. Um, but, like, those are actually close games. 
Um, but like we also lost to Carolina and New Jersey and uh, the Islanders here. Um, and those weren't really close at all. Colorado. Um, so it's like it's one thing if it's like a close game to these teams, but because um, you know more than likely you could win some of those games, but. If it's like you're losing to them without really trying, it's like, come on, man. Um, also, uh, Rask has has play, um, has been the big guy, and we need to. Yeah, he's been the most consistent guy. He by needs far. To, and Kudobin has only one win, I think, this year. So uh, he needs to step up in that sense. But it's also like our team just stinks now. Um, our defense has been better, marginally better than it has in the past. So there is some hope, as well as at our World Juniors, where we have Jeremy Lazan, um, uh, Charlie McAvoy, um, and Jacob Jakob Saboral in our system. So we have those guys to look forward to um, in the next uh, upcoming seasons. But. Um, Right now, I Before feel that like happens, there's a lot of pain coming. Yeah, I have a feeling right now we're not for real. We're gonna probably step down and barely make the playoffs again. We're in that weird purgatory where we're not bad enough to be a lottery team, but we're not good enough to be a yeah. playoff team. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm just down on them. Uh, but uh, you also have the Ottawa Senators. Um, I guess we'll talk about them now. Uh, just quickly before you go into a recap of this week, um, goals per game uh, is t- they're twenty first in the league with two point five goals against per game. They're thirteenth in the league with two point six. Um, yeah, all right, and I'll, I'll let you to that forty four okay. points. Well, uh, you know, I wasn't sure this time last year. I wasn't sure what to make of the Senators going into this season. I wasn't sure what to think of them. Yeah. Uh, P- uh, the new GM, Pierre Dorian, uh, who has been assistant GM for a, a number of years, he said that their goal is to make the playoffs this year. They want to be a playoff team this year. He thinks they have what it takes to be a playoff team. And you know what? Heading into their game against the Rangers, you know, coming off the Christmas break, you know, he thought they ate too much turkey. They'd be tired. They'd be flat-footed. they jump out to a 3-1 lead. And granted, New York fought back and ended up winning the game 4-3 regulation, but there were several parts in that game, like the first five minutes of the game and the final five minutes of the game, where Ottawa was the clearly the better team. They were pressuring the Rangers. Um, they outshot them 36-25. to They hit four posts. And, you know, those four posts, that's the difference between 1.2 points or nothing at all. And, uh, you know, you get a little bit of puck luck, and it could be a different story. But... Um, I, I liked what I saw in that game. They lost in overtime to Detroit. Um, they got an, an early lead uh, in the second. I think it was a couldn't close the deal. Um, and then that Washington game, like beating Washington's never easy, especially with a guy like Braden Holtby in that, um, especially with their penalty kill. Um, but again, you know, they get an early lead. Um, they lose their third straight one goal game. Um, they hit a couple of posts again, um, but just their special teams, like their power play, it just a, really a work in progress. Like at MSG, they were 0 for 4. Against Detroit, they were 0 for 3. And then they give up a shorthanded marker late in the second uh, to Carl Alsner, which ties the game. 
They go 0 for 4 against the Washington Capitals. Like, you need to make those teams uh, pay the price, um, especially when you get several chances with the extra man. Um, the good news for Ottawa is they have five days off, but to answer your question, if they are for real, we'll find out by the end of January because January is probably their toughest month that I have seen um, in their NHL schedule. The, January is their big test. Um, like they have Washington after those five days off. They have Washington at home on Saturday. The night after, they host Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers. I don't care if those are two home games back-to-back nights. That's a tough back-to-back. And, and then they play teams like Pittsburgh um, – and then you get uh, Washington another time. Um, and then you get Columbus twice. And then, again, a team like Toronto that's playing better as of late, if you sleep on them, uh, they could beat you. We play them twice. And I don't know if I said St. Louis before, but St. Louis, they play them as well. Um, so we're really going to see what this team is made of, especially um, it's going to be interesting to see how their defense holds up because, as you know, Craig Anderson – um, his wife Nicole's battling cancer. He's with he's with her by her side. It doesn't sound like he'll be returning to the team anytime soon, which means, especially with Andrew Hammond in net, it, this is Mike Condon's team right now. And the good news for Mike Condon and good news for the Sens and for their fans, Mike Condon's been playing very well. And Ryan Dezingle um, has really emerged as well. Like in that Washington game, he was easily one of their best players. Using speed to his advantage, he set up Tourist beautifully on the only goal that they scored. Um, and and really, he's he's emerged as a permanent fixture. Um, and when I and I believe Clark MacArthur will be returning at some point in January or February. And if and when he does, Curtis Lazar should be sent down to the AHL, and he should stay there for the rest of the year. Not because he's a crappy player; he just needs confidence. And he needs consistency. He needs consistent, solid top line minutes. He needs to get um, he needs to get back into game shape because he was uh, he missed training camp due to mono. Um, so he physically he wasn't in the best shape uh, heading into the season. You know he got on that conditioning stint in Binghamton. I think he needs a longer conditioning stint, and he's also on an entry level deal, and not much. Uh, time is left on that entry-level deal. So once that expires, you're probably going to sign him to a one-way. And if at that point, you know, he's still struggling, you risk putting him on waivers and losing him for nothing. So they need to be really cautious with Curtis Lazar's development. And I think if they need to send anyone down, if MacArthur comes back, it'll have to be Curtis Lazar. Uh, That being said, though, um, their success this year, which... I'm not going to lie. If you ask me about their success at this point in the season near the halfway point, I'm sure a lot of people would take it. Mm. They're in a playoff spot right now. Top three team in the Atlantic division. But again, this month is going to be huge because um, you look at all the monster teams in uh, the Metropolitan. If Ottawa slips out of that top three, they're out of a playoff spot because then you got the Metro. You mean Atlantic. The two wildcard spots. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and Boston's in that same position. Right, so right. Ottawa needs to keep winning. But Getting back to their past for a minute, um, this franchise is slowly but surely starting to honor the old Ottawa Senators that really put this team on the map. And Daniel Alfredson is probably as, as good as it gets 
And it's only fitting that uh, before that game against Detroit on Thursday, his number 11 was retired by the team, the first in modern franchise history to be retired. Uh, in the old days, they retired Frank Finnegan's number eight. That's the only other number uh, that you can't wear as an Ottawa senator. And now Daniel Offertson has uh, has joined that list. And um, his, his brother Henrik was uh, speaking before the game, and he said that Daniel might not have been the best player, but he's never seen anyone more determined to win than Alfredson. Like in the old days, if they were playing in a tennis match and he was either losing to Daniel or beating Daniel, uh, one, one of the tennis rackets wouldn't be going home in one piece. Right. So uh, that's how determined he was. He always wanted to be the best. He always wanted to work harder than the next guy and the next guy and the next guy. And if you're on his side, although he didn't say it, he would hold you accountable, and he brought out the best in you. And that's what so many of the guys that he played alongside with um, have said about Daniel Alfredson. He he didn't he didn't have to say anything to get you to follow his lead. He just had that ability to get you to 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 just lead by example and follow his lead. Yep. And and when you can yeah. do that without saying a word, that's that says something. So. He's um, like a quiet he's leader or whatever. I, I think that's like a phrase like quiet confidence or quiet leader. Yeah, quiet confidence, yeah. exactly. And he, and, he did, and he was just great, just great with the puck. Like he didn't make too many mistakes. He always made the right play, it seemed. Yeah. He just made the smart play. Yeah. So just, just a senator for life. And I'm sure I'm one of many Sens fans that can say that. Yeah, not only was he a good leader, but he was a good um, – you know, a good player too. So he's probably yeah. making it to the Hall of Fame, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I don't think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, but I think eventually he gets in there. I I'm mean, just looking and, at his if, if if people are saying he shouldn't be a Hall of Famer, he's, it might not be enough. But that 2007 yeah. goal, that's enough in our books to get in the Hall. Of yeah, Fame. he had a thousand one hundred and fifty-seven points career in a th- in a. Th- in 1,200 games, so, yeah, I could see that happening, I don't know, but, yeah, you're right, he might not be, like, a first ballot, but he'll, he'll eventually make it, um, and then, but, since you're, I guess, since we're doing a sort of Bruin Sen segment here, uh, uh, after the Sabres' second game, when the Sabres don't play the Bruins again for the rest of the year, Evander Kane went on Twitter, there's a bit of beef in that uh, in that Saturday game too as well, but um, Evander Kane went on Twitter. He said when a, um, and he tweets this out on Kevin Miller. Um, he even used him as a hashtag. Uh, when a guy pretends to want to fight and only chirps when the six six lineman is standing in the way. Hashtag Kevin Miller. Hashtag pretender. Hashtag stop lying. Um, hashtag decided to tweet instead of saying it to his face. Exactly. Hashtag I'm the real pansy here. Um, and, uh, which I, and then, um, it feels like Buffalo is kind of just exploding all, all over the place here with, um, Eichel like had like a screaming match, um, in the locker room just because he felt like he was the only person who cared, which is probably true. Um, and, what's what's it, what's interesting yeah. about what's interesting about that? I saw this this article and it says um, 
although he scored in that game, it wasn't one of his better efforts. He gave the puck away at times, locks in the neutral yeah. zone, also took a lazy slash, slashing penalty in the second period that led to Bergeron's power play goal and a 2 nothing Boston lead. So he wasn't exactly picture perfect there. True. And you know what? Buffalo has lost six of their last seven. They have every reason to be upset. But when you get all upset and start breaking stuff in the dressing room, and you won't talk to the media after that, even when a you're PR talking about Evander Kane here. If you want to, that doesn't look good on you. Yeah, you're this talking team, about Evander Kane. It, this team has, uh, no, I'm talking about Jack Eichel. Oh, you're talking about Jack Eichel, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's uh, it's the character issue. This team needs to mature from a character standpoint. Yeah, that's true. And I did predict them to make the playoffs. <laughs> Not looking good here, uh, but that, yeah. The fact that they're not healthy also doesn't Yeah, that well. also might be a factor, too. We're going to talk about Ryan O'Reilly in a second. But, yeah. Um, but, yeah, Vander Kane tweeting out these things instead of putting it out on the ice here um, is kind of crazy, too, um, in the sense because he's, like, that's even, like, he's just, he's telling Kevin Miller that he's he didn't want to fight when you're putting this out on Twitter um, and you don't play them again until the next season, which I kind of wish there was another um, game between the Sabres and the Bruins. Uh, here's what Kevin Miller had to say about uh, Evander Kane's tweet. I've been informed about the tweet. You guys can kind of pick and choose for that. You saw the game, right? I said in my piece after the game he wanted to fight when the refs and came in, um, and now he's using Twitter, which is whatever you want to call it. CMC has to say that when we don't play them again. That's my thought. He knew I wanted to fight. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Everybody on his team knew I wanted to, and I'm pretty sure everybody on his team knows how I feel about him. I have a long memory. So um, so that's going to set up uh, the uh, a good next season uh, game, um, Bruins-Sabres. But um, Evander Kane's is not a great person. So, um, yeah. <laughs> he, he's, he, you know what, he, I, I've seen him do do very heartwarming things, like on social media, like like just, just you know, like visit people at the hospital. Like do, he's also charged yeah, he, he, for domestic it's, it's abuse like, before we get I'm into this. I'm not going to compare him to Justin Bieber, but it's just like, you know, he can be a very nice guy, and then just like a switch flips off, and he's this just entirely different person like yeah it's just on and off character issues with evander kane i don't get it yeah he's I've, got the skills to be successful um uh, before we well before you compare him to justin bieber he's uh i'm not I, well, yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I'm just I'm saying really he's he, he's it's two different things but right it's just it's just the way that switch can switch on and off like he's uh he's charged for uh well, domestic not. abuse as well so he Beats well, up yeah. women, so that I mean, yeah, Justin Bieber has a, 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 you know egging. You can't really house. like defend that kind of person, but yeah, he's not. Someone's versus that. Yeah, he's not. not it's two different things. Exactly, and he's not like um, but like yeah, but the same kind of applies. He's not really mature either way. <laughs> um, exactly. Also accused of domestic violence. I don't think anyone's anything's been proven in that. But, right, but yeah, he's accused, but... But, but yeah, yeah it, it, regardless of shady reputation. Exactly. Um, Alright, let's get into the rapid fire. Um, so, 
uh, there's two big signings this week, um, or since we've been gone, I guess it was more than a week. Uh, Panarin uh, was re-signed two years, six million. Um, when I was looking at the cap friendly, their cap friendly page, the Hawks cap friendly page, um, I found that uh, they only they don't have a ton of cap space left, which I guess makes sense. That's what happens when you sign. Uh, Kane and Taves to long-term contracts. You sign Panarin, which is what they should have done. Marion Hosa is a while to, um, or has um, has a long contract as well, um, as well as Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook, Corey Crawford as well. Um, but the only guys they need to sign uh, this offseason are uh, Scott Darling and Brian Campbell. Um, and they don't really need to sign those guys. Um, so I guess things are looking good for them as well. Uh, Blackhawks are pretty good in terms of like, uh, cap management. So, um, and, and Panarin deserves every bit of money, if not more than that, but 6,000, 6 million for, uh, two years is pretty good for Panarin, especially since I think he's in the top 10 points right now. So, um, yeah, he deserves it. Yeah, shooting percentage over 15%, 119 games into his career, 30 goals in his rookie season, 77 points as well. Uh, close to a point-a-game player this year, absolutely. And and you know what? He's going to get paid every single cent of what he's worth in the yep. long run. And, and Chicago's, you know, they're just delaying the inevitable for another two and a half years. Yeah. Um, Montreal also signed um, Al Montoya. Uh, for two, two years, one million um, annual average value. Um, so yeah, that's a pretty good de- deal too. I mean, as we've talked about in our Bruins send segment, like backups are really important, um, and um, so it's always good to have a good backup. And I feel like one million for a backup is a good deal for that. So. Um, yeah, and a really good backup at that in Al Montoya. Yeah. Ma- yeah, he really showed it compared to like well, Condon last year wasn't very good for Montreal. Um, I mean, it may be, it may that may have more to do with all the other injuries that they had um, as mm-hmm. well. But um, but like, yeah, it seems like they found their good a good backup for them in Montreal there. So um, I think that was a good deal for them. Um, yeah. to speaking of Montreal, um, and, uh, people who left, um, <laughs> so, uh, there's a lot of injuries here. Uh, the most significant this week was, uh, PK Subban, who has, uh, who had a back injury. I think he, he's, they say that he's going to be gone for two to three weeks, uh, which is a shame because they play, uh, Montreal tonight on uh, Nashville mm-hmm. does. And so he's not going to play there. Although this he is, it's not at the Bell Center. So yeah, um, that, that means going to be in early March. Yeah. And the PK is not out of the woods yet because surgery, if that's an option, would end his season. Yep. So in two to three weeks, if he hasn't made much progress, um, surgery could be an option. And he um, could be out for reports, the there are reports that it's a herniated disc, but David Poiley, no one in the national organization has confirmed or denied anything. So. Yep. Um, Still but, wait and see. 
Yeah, it's still a big loss for them, though, um, as a team and a whole. Especially when they're, like, you know, Shea Weber has been pretty good for them, uh, for Montreal. So, um, yeah, but that's going to be a tough one uh, to lose for them. Um, Subban was injured last year, too, right? So, um, he might be an injury-prone guy. Um, we'll see. Um, Alex Barkov... Um, so the Florida Panthers seasons gets even worse with Alex Barkov is now injured. Um, he has a, where he has a lower body injury. Uh, we're now into the season where teams aren't as specific about where players are injured. So it's now yeah. either lower body or upper body. So this is a lower body injury. It could be his knee. It could be his stomach. We don't know. Um, uh, but yeah, apparently he is out for two to three weeks as well. Um, and that's a, I don't know, that's a, that's a tough loss for the Panthers there. Um, yeah, he also, he also had points in nine of his last 11 before yeah, he's the been pretty good body injury. So he was just getting into his group too. Yeah. And that's a shame for them, but, um, we'll see. Um, Matt Murray, uh, has a lower body injury again. Um, or another, you know, another lower body injury here. Um, he's week to week. Um, since he is a backup and they have flurry, um, the Penguins aren't that serious about it, but he's been pretty good, Matt Murray. So, um, yeah, I, uh, it's a, it's a tough blow for them. As yeah, well. 13 wins in 17 games, that's tough to replace. But again, the, the coach they signed to a three year contract extension about, uh, twenty to twenty five percent of Pittsburgh's wins since he took over. Yep. Um, just taking a look at the exact stat here. Twenty to twenty five percent of those wins under Mike Sullivan have come when Pittsburgh has trailed at any point by two goals or more. So the fact that uh, they're without Matt Murray um, again week to week. Um, They've, they've been through worse, and they've been able to get through it fine. So I have no concerns with Pittsburgh. And yeah. also the tank back, too, which is notable. Yeah, true. And also, um, in other news, um, in Penguins news, Malkin had his 800th point this week, um, which is a franchise. Um, he's the fourth Penguin in franchise history to do that. I think you can guess who the other three are, but I'll say them anyway. Uh, Lemieux, Crosby, and Yager. Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, I was about to say them, but you, you beat me to it. Uh, but yeah, so, um, yeah, with those guys, with Crosby, Malkin, Latang, Kessel, I can go on and on with those guys, you know, I think the Penguins will be okay, but, um, it still is a, a big loss for them, though, uh, cause you know, you need in this, in this new NHL, you need backups um, backup goaltenders, so um, we'll yeah. see. Um, and speaking of goaltenders, by the way, just just a quick, uh, just wanted to point this out. King Henrik officially passed the domineer for most NHL wins by oh, European. I just wanted to address that. That's all. That's Continue. fine. Yeah, we talked about that, I think, in uh, last episode. But yeah, so yeah, he officially... Time, now he's broken. It's official, yeah. Um, Ryan O'Reilly has an appendectomy... Um, he's out for two to three weeks as well. Um, but this is a time, as we were talking about earlier with Eichel, this is a time for uh, Eichel to really show um, how good he is because now it's like 
kind of his team with Ryan O'Reilly out. So um, we'll see uh, if he can actually grow from this or not. I mean, uh, the two Bruins games aren't good, great indicators yet, but um, who knows? Maybe he'll uh, he'll be uh, you know maybe Eichel will show himself. Um, it's somehow. just consistent brilliance. It's yep. the consistency part of his game. We know how good he is. He just needs to do that consistently. Exactly. And uh, but yeah, Ryan O'Reilly's out. Um, so but um, I mean, I guess it's not a huge deal considering the Sabers aren't really in contention at all. But um, mm-hmm. still. It's, it's just been the story of their season. Basically. One guy comes back from injury, another one goes on the IR. Yep. I mean, like, probably what they want for Christmas is a healthy roster. They're still not getting a healthy roster. No, they're not. Um, in other injuries uh, that we don't have to talk too much about, but uh, Vlasic is put on IR. It looks like it's a facial injury. Um, we'll see if that is, how serious that is. I don't we don't know exactly. The short ports are day to day, so we could okay. be back by the time this podcast is available. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Dumoulin had mouth surgery, jaw surgery. Um, jaw. Uh, yeah. Yeah, jaw surgery. Um, so here's some stuff that like were injured bef- even before this episode or last episode. Uh, Rick Nash has a groin. He's been sidelined since like the middle of December. Um, Hurdle has, like, a knee injury. He's indefinite to return. Yeah, and, very little progress there. Yeah. Also, I think this happened recently, though, uh, was Troy Brower has a broken finger. Um, yeah. I think... Another Calgary flame with a broken yeah, finger. exactly. That's why it's notable. It's just because Calgary has these things with fingers, so... Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, all right, next topic on the rapid fire Halleck uh was put on waivers um and then he went unclaimed um it's kind of surprising that he went on claim on waivers but um but it was but then when you look at his salary um he's getting paid 4.5 as a cap hit so um it's kind of no surprise that he went unclaimed um you know I guess you would have thought like a team like maybe um, any team that needs a goalie help would be like uh, Dallas or Florida, not Florida, um, maybe Philly, I guess, but um, the Colorado maybe. But with that cap, it I don't see how any team um, would want to deal with that. So um, yeah, so you went unclaimed. Yeah, I, I really feel bad for this guy because he, um, you know. He led the Canadians on that big run in 2010 right. before Carey Price was, you know, the Carey Price that we all know today is the dominant Carey Price, one of the best goalies in the NHL. Yeah, Montreal picked right. There was this time where they were debating whether or not they keep or trade a yep. lack. And, and you know, over the last seven years, his GAA has been below 2.5. And this year, uh, you know, going into the season, he, he led Team Europe uh, in that uh, World Cup of Hockey to the finals. And he was a big reason why they got there. And and now his GAA has gone from you know his career average of two point four two to this year it's three point two three that's almost a full point up and he's kind of like an Andre Pavlik in the sense that he's got a pretty decent resume 
but not enough recent success, and his salary cap is not worth taking a chance on, even on the waiver wire. Yep. And I, I think the fact that Thomas Grice has played just as well as Yaroslav Halak has played for them in the first two years of his deal, like over the last year or so, Grice is 31-16-4. He's also won a playoff series, which Halak hasn't done with the Islanders yet. So um, I think that weighed into this decision as well, the fact that they had a solid plan B. And you look at Pavlik, he, he still hasn't moved. He's still in the AHL. And yeah. uh, the thing with Pavlik and Halak, Pavlik is a UFA after this year. Halak's got one more year left on his deal. So he got $4.5 million on the table for him next season. So... You know, e- even if you look at teams like Minnesota, who maybe could use a better plan B for Devin Dubnik than Darcy Kemper, or Edmonton, maybe they need a better plan B than Jonas Gustafsson to back up Cam Talbot. Um, is it worth taking a chance on on a guy that you know has a resume of de- uh, as a resume of success, but not enough recent success to build on? I mean, he's only got six wins in twenty one games this year. Last year. He played in 36 games before getting hurt, and he got 18 wins. So uh, it's just a matter of, you know, how many teams can afford this guy and if any teams are willing to take a chance on Halak, how much cap are the Islanders going to have to bite off his salary in order to make that work? Like, Nashville needs offense. They They have the cap to get this thing done, to get a guy like Yaroslav Halak. But the thing is, A, they need offense, and B.E., they're paying a guy, UC Saros, um, I don't even know, even $1 million to back up Pecorine, and he's done an admirable job in, in doing so. So yeah. what what's really the point of getting a guy like Halak if you got a young kid in Saros who's putting up better numbers? Yeah, it's true. It's a good point. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I was just thinking in terms of, like, the whole Montreal uh, situation back then. I guess the Canadians really picked the right guy. Um, but yeah, Pierre Gauthier hasn't really made too many good moves as a GM. That's the one good move that he made was keeping Carey Price. Yep. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. It's like it's it's crazy how like teams have fallen in terms of like or in terms of goalies. Um, you know. Yeah. Um, in that, like Pecorine a couple of years ago. They're kind of like running backs in football. They have a a shelf life. Right, exactly. Like you were just mentioning how Pecorine a couple of years ago was like really dominant, and now he might, you know, he's being outplayed by this uh, UC Soros guy. So um, I wouldn't say outplayed because, you know, UC Soros hasn't played in as many games. Right. But uh, Soros has been pretty good, though. He's been a couple of years ago, though. Yeah. Right about that. Well, I mean, he's been playing better. Like, he's been, I mean, yeah, it's true. Not as many games, but he's still been, he's had better numbers, though, in those games. Um, In the, uh, all right, let's talk about the World Junior uh, Championships here. Uh, uh, So, quarterfinals were yesterday. um, But, uh, so we have, uh, and, uh, the one team that you were wrong about, um, but uh, the fin. Let's start with uh, Finland, um, who they fired their coach. You were really wrong about them. Um, yeah, 
That's the second time I picked Finland to win it all, and they drastically disappointed me. Exactly. Um, but yeah, they fired their coach. It's kind of surprising too because they had you know they had Latine and Puljujarvi uh, last year. I'm, I'm always going to pronounce that guy's name wrong. Yeah. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, so they fired their coach. I guess they won their relegation match um, yesterday. Yeah, 2-1 so. yep. over Latvia. They barely won it. Um, and then, uh, so now we have the semifinals here. Um, it looks like it's going to be USA versus Russia and Canada versus Sweden. Um, so let's start with USA and Russia. Who do you, ha- Steve, you're going to be our expert world junior guy. So who do you think, uh, is going to win? Who do you think is going to be in the finals and who do you think is going to win, um, those two, uh, two matchups? Uh, well, um, see, see the, the thing about just, just getting back to Finland for a sec, like yep. they were, the, the problem with Finland is that. They couldn't score. Like in the first four games, they only gave up eight goals. That's that was, I believe, tied for second fewest in the tournament. But they only scored six goals in those four games, and they lost a lot of one goal games. And just taking a look at uh, Finland's numbers, um, two goals, twenty four shots. Game one, game two, two goals on thirty six shots versus Denmark. Game three, one goal, twenty nine shots, lost to Sweden. And then in that one game where they got a win in the round robin against the Swiss, two goals on 53 shots. And they only got two goals against Latvia in yeah. the relegation game. So it's just, it, I've never seen a team fall so quickly from being defending gold medalists to just avoid getting relegated by Latvia. Yeah. Or let alone get relegated by anybody. So, so I guess it makes sense that they fire their coach because that would be a uh, reason well, yeah, to do I that. I just don't see it happen mid-tournament. Like yeah. in 2010, you saw the Russians after the, their big Olympic loss to Canada in the quarters. Um, they made all those swift changes, but that was after they were eliminated. They Finland did this mid-tournament. Right. So that that's kind of what took me back. Anyways, just wanted to get out that my check. That's fine. Okay, so uh, USA-Russia. USA... I believe the first time they won their group since 2004, the first time they won gold at this tournament. Um, they they almost lost by, their quarterfinal game, too. Yeah, they were pushed by the Swiss. A yep. Swiss team, by the way, that gave up um, at least 30 shots in three of their four games and over 40 shots in two of their first four games. U.S. were outshot 22-16, to 16, if I'm not mistaken, in that game. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. And, I was and, watching that game. It sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, Switzerland's um, Nico um, Eicher, I believe, is how you pronounce his last name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he got t- he got two goals, I believe, in that game. Almost got the hat trick, but robbed by Tyler Parsons. That was a tournament saving stop right there. He scores there that ties the game. Parsons is pretty good though. From too, so yeah. it, it, they were they were pushed by the Swiss. So I don't know if that's. Uh, a shot to their system in advance of their game against Russia, or um, maybe Russia smells blood here. Although, right. to be fair, I, I don't think the Danes were on their game early. Russia took advantage of that. Um, Although, the Russians, first, they lost to the Americans before. They lost to Canada in their first yeah. game. They gave up three power play goals. So I don't know what to make of Russia. I think it's going to be a very close game. Okay. Um, I think the Americans are going to take it by a goal again. To be fair, though, USA did beat Canada before in their 
previous game three to one. But yeah, so but yeah, it's like uh, that's different than the Swiss. So they might be just inconsistent. Yeah, and that that was probably their only blemish in the tournament. There, they did everything else right. Yeah. Um, but they really looked human against the Swiss. Like that that was the closest to being beatable that I've seen them in this tournament. But again, they were able to get results. Um, yeah. And uh, some timely scoring in the end. But right. uh, there 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 were times where I was really concerned if they could hang on to that. Yeah. But I, I nevertheless I think the Americans are going to prevail because okay. just Russians. A lack of discipline at times, that's really cost. And we saw it in the Canada game where they gave up three power play goals. And if, if the Americans can contain their offense, especially um, Kirill uh, Kaprizov, I believe his, his name is. He's a top three scorer in this tournament. Yeah. If they can shut him down, um, that's half the battle. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, Sweden and Canada. That's, that's going to be a good game. Yeah, uh, Canada-Sweden's going to be an intriguing matchup um, because Sweden, they've won 40 straight in round-robin competition, and they've made the semifinals in each of the last 11 World Juniors. However, in the playoff round, they're 10-11. and 11. They actually look beatable in the playoff round. In the knockout round, they're ten and eleven, well, whereas they're forty and zero in their last forty round robin games. And I think pretty much every time Canada's faced them in the playoff round, Canada's beaten them. Yeah. But on the other hand, Canada looked vulnerable against the U.S. And their their power play, by the way, their special teams was was just terrible in that game. But they 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 were down one nothing to the Czechs. The Czechs gave him a good run. Yep. And I'm really concerned about Canada going into this game against the Swedes because if they look vulnerable against the Americans, they they beat the Czechs five to three. But it was a, a two, it was a, a neck and neck battle in the first right. two periods. So uh, Gauthier uh, is like had those two goals, which looked really well, a good. Um, yeah, I was Taylor watching Rattis that game too. That four goal game as well. What, what, Julian what, does, uh, what, what is what is good is that Mitchell Stevens had a three point game yep. last night, goal and two assists, and and that and that's good because this was a guy who got injured early in the tournament, didn't really play much in the round robin, and to come back and to make an impact like that is pretty special. Um, and it, so it it that that's good for. Um, that's good for Canada to see, you know, a guy not named Dylan Strom or Matt Barzell or um, Tyson Yost, who, who was really good in that first game, but hasn't really been as dominant since. Uh, to, to have a guy like Mitchell Stevens come in and play that good is, is awesome. And Thomas Shabbat, he was at his best as well in that quarterfinal game. Yeah. So Julian, Thomas Shabbat, especially without uh, Philip Myers on defense, yeah. that, that's really good for Canada. Julian Gauthier um, also played w- really well. As yeah. I mentioned earlier, Gauthier, uh, Gauthier, Gauthier two goals, yeah. yeah. Um, and and Connor Ingram, you know what? He wasn't he wasn't great, but he made the timely saves when he had to. Yep. Um. So defense and goaltending, it could go anyone's way. The thing about Canada is, you know, the U.S. They don't out. They could have used Austin Matthews. They can't. Canada could have used Conrad David. They can't. Sweden's icing nobody. 
They have the best of the best that could play in this tournament that are playing. You have Alex Nylander, who is a top three scorer in the tournament. You got that Swedish defenseman Dahlin as well. Yep. And, and Projected 2018 the, first overall pick. Yeah, uh, a top three pick at the, at the, at the least. I think he's the first. I think he's projected to first overall in next year's draft. Yeah, and I, I actually right. saw he played four different levels of hockey in 2014, 2015. Yeah. This must be typo. Elite Prospect <laughs> says he scored at, at uh, Division 216 level in a, in a, with a Swedish team. He got 27 goals in five games. Yep. I don't buy that at all, but then he goes up a level. Definitely and then typo. He gets, and then he gets 19 goals in 15 games. And I believe forty-eight points. So that's still pretty impressive. Still impressive, so but that's a lot of upside. But that twenty-seven in fifteen games—that's like a—that's a typo, I think. No, twenty-seven goals in five games. Twenty-seven yeah. in fifteen. Well, that—that's even more of a typo. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in any case, uh, whether or not that that is accurately hyped, um, we've seen uh, we've seen him uh, and what he can do in this term. And this guy is just a sixteen-year-old as well. Yeah. Which is even more impressive, um, and and the, there's this guy that um, I don't Swedish think has really produced uh, that that much in this tournament. Uh, Rasmus Asplund, I believe his name is. Okay. He got four helpers. He got four assists. He led the team in scoring in that eight three win over Slovakia. Sweden dominated that game. And when you have a guy not named Nylander or Dahlin contributing and leading the team in points, that just shows how much depth that you have. So. I don't know. My my heart says Canada, but my mind says Sweden simply because they just have too much depth, and I think that's going to be too much for Canada to overcome. I think Canada's going to give them a run for their money, but uh, I think the Swedes are sadly going to prevail. Okay, so oh, so Sweden USA, Sweden USA for gold. Okay, Canada for bronze. And I think by the time we're going to record next, um, the uh, final oh, no, will no. already happen. So, yeah. no, no. so do you have do you have a prediction on who will win USA Sweden or I say Swedes and OT. Okay, interesting. All right, well we'll see. Well, maybe you'll be better than your Finland prediction, but you have a chance. <laughs> you have your chance know. to redeem yourself. So Sweden and OT. Sweden and OT the goal. over the US. I get over the US. Yeah. Um, you heard it here first. Um. So 2016 was uh, a year. <laughs> uh, it's no longer a year now, or I mean, it, it was last the year, year now. Was. Yeah, the year that was. Um, so we decided to do for both of us. We decided to have. Uh, we're going to say our most memorable moment and our favorite moment uh, for each of us. Um, so I'm gonna. I guess for me, I guess. There isn't really a huge difference between the two, but for me, the memorable moment um, is uh, Subban. That the fact that in 30 minutes' time, Subban and Shea Weber trade, Taylor Hall and Adam Larson trade, and Stamkos gets resigned, um, all within 30 minutes of each other. Um, I just I think that's like something that's never going to happen again, where like two blockbuster trades. And like a a big free agent resigning is never going to happen again. Um, and also, it's just like the whole shock of like those two trades, and yeah. just the fact that like Stamkos had been teasing us all 
all summer just saying like, oh yeah, I'm gonna like leave t- Tampa, and then he just resigns with Tampa, which you called by the way. But um, yeah, I think it's um, it's gonna be it's um, for me that's what uh, I'll remember 2016 most for in terms of hockey uh, was those like 30 minutes. <laughs> To put that into perspective, I was on my way to yeah. work. My bus ride is 40 minutes to work. By the time I got on the bus to the time I arrived to work, that all happened. Yeah. It was and funny. It was a total shock to me when I got in. Whenever, when, when I checked TSN's website, I'm just yeah. like, are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. That was so crazy. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't argue your, your, um, your favorite moment. That, that was intense, for sure. Um, it was also because it's... Um, well, for me, it was just, I remember seeing that Hall and Adam Larson were traded, and I just remember thinking, like, wait, who's Adam Larson? Are they talking about the New Jersey Devils guy? And then and then I had to, like, search up Adam Larson, and then while I was doing that, I think, like, then I heard that, like, Shea Weber and P.K. Subban were traded for each other, and then, like, Stamkos was traded once I was looking into that. It was like it was weird. So, but um, yeah, it's just like yeah. Oh, oh, uh, Hall was traded for Larson, and who else did we get? No, just Adam Larson. Yeah. Uh. Right. I mean, it, it turns out that that's working out well for them. Although Adam Larson isn't their bona fide defenseman yet, but um, the trade has been working out for them. And um, Subban and Weber, I guess, sort of has worked out well for both of them. It's still, like, it's tough to see because for, like, in the future, like, five years down the line, I don't know. I feel like the edge will be to Nashville. But right now, the edge is to Montreal. Um, yeah. And Stamkos is injured. It's a long-term edge that got people in Montreal riled up there. Yep, and Stamkos is injured right now. But uh, I'm sure he's happy that he's in Tampa right now. Um yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess you'll just go with your memorable moment, and then we'll do favorite moments after that. Shockingly, it's not Connor McDavid scoring that beauty versus Columbus in his first game back from that injury, or John Scott in the All-Star game, yeah. although both moments are glorious. Oh, that would be good choices, um, yeah. Yeah. My highlight was how the community came together to remember Gordy, how Mr. Hockey passed away this year. I mean, if you didn't meet this guy in person, and you didn't see his good nature, and you didn't get to see him play... Chances are the idols that you grew up idolizing, like, I don't know, Wayne Gretzky, um, did get to see him play, uh, did get to see his good nature, did get to meet him in person. In fact, Wayne Gretzky got to know him very well. And before Wayne Gretzky was the greatest of all time, Gordy Howe was his inspiration. And while he can make the argument that some people do things better than, you know, guys like Gordy Howe, Gordy Howe was the first to do it. He set the bar. And then number 99 carried the torch after Gordy. And that inspired guys like Sidney Crosby to be better. And guys like Sidney Crosby continue to inspire future generations of players like Hunter McDavid, who are now inspiring the generations of talents to come after that, who are probably going to inspire even more people. And, you know, you hear this stuff about Yarmer Yager saying he wants to play hockey into his 50s. Gordy Howe played his final NHL game at the age of 52, and his final hockey game as a pro came in his 60s. Uh, this guy did it all. He played in 23 NHL All-Star games, over 1,700 games, or almost 1,700 games with one franchise. I mean, for crying out loud, we have the Gordie Howe hat trick because of Gordie Howe. Yep. Like, this guy was the man of first. Um, and in my opinion, he made this league better. He made hockey better. 
Um, perfect example of an NHL player. Absolute great role model. Very generous with his time. And other than Wayne Gretzky, I can't think of any person more iconic attached to this game than Gordie Howe. Yep. And just to see everyone come together from generations, different generations of hockey, um, you know, from Wayne Gretzky to Mario Lemieux to Sidney Crosby, just everyone who got a chance to meet Gordie Howe or got to know Gordie Howe or to hear the stories about Gordie Howe, just to see everyone unite to remember this man is very special. And, and that's what really... That's that's my favorite moment of 2016 is remembering Gordy Howe. Yeah, I don't think we'll um, see another Gordy Howe uh, he Gordy Howe again, just with how aggressive NHL is right now. There's yeah, there's only one. He's yeah, one of a kind. Um, all right. So our favorite moment. Um, I guess I'll go first for that. Um. I think that was our favorite moment. I think we're talking about inspirations, but all right, inspirations. What, what, whatever you call yours. Yeah, you called yours inspiration. I I said favorite moment, but oh. um, the because uh, I guess mine isn't really an inspiration. It's more just like, well, I guess it is kind of inspirational in a way. Uh, was that uh, Phil Kessel after being maligned in Toronto um, finally gets his cup? Um, he, uh, in Pittsburgh, um, I just loved everything about Phil Kessel this year, uh, to his interviews with Pierre Maguire, um, yeah. where he was talking about his bad breath, or yeah, he thought like, he had was bad breath. your breath, he's like, it smells bad, eh? Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, it's conditioning. Right. To, like, his tweet after the U.S. lost, that I got embarrassed in the World Cup, oh, yeah, and he was playing like, oh, I'm just playing with my dog here. Now I should, feel like I should be doing something. Um, Important. Yeah. And just, like, just in general, like, he even, like, went to, like, Toronto for with his day for the Cup and stuff like yeah. that. Just, like, uh, I don't know, just being Phil Kessel, just... Um, it was just great to see, uh, just because I feel like he's been he's been maligned his entire career, even in Boston. So it's nice to see that he uh, finally gets his cup, and uh, it couldn't have happened to a better guy. So here's uh, Kessel. You had a you had a good year. Um, Twenty sixteen may have sucked for everyone else, but uh, for you, it was pretty good. <laughs> One of the famous people that had a great 2017. A lot of yep. other famous people didn't. <laughs> exactly. Um, my most inspirational moment was seeing Craig Anderson against the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, well documented what he's gone through this year. A week before that game in particular against the Oilers, his wife Nicole's diagnosed with cancer, leaves the team understandably to be by her side. And that game against Calgary a few days later, Andrew Hammond gets hurt, with, uh, goes down with a groin injury, and then encouraged by his wife he rejoins the team less than 24 hours later in Edmonton and then he makes 37 saves and not only beats Connor McDavid Leon Dreisaitl Cam Talbot and the youthful Oilers squad that could by the way find themselves back in the Stanley Cup playoffs for the first time since 06 not only does he beat them he shuts them out in a 2-0 win uh and in the 11 starts after that that gem he gave up more than two goals in just three of those starts 
I mean, even though he's not going to be back for a while by the sound of it, he's been a huge reason why the Sens have been doing well this year. And really the ongoing battle that his family has been going through has rubbed off on everyone in that dressing room because when the players and coaches see that empty stall every time they walk by, they, they know who, what he's going through. They're among it every day there. And I think it's a journey that puts everything into perspective for a lot of people. And you realize what's worth fighting for during those hard times and what isn't. Yeah. And these struggles don't have to define the rest of your life. And while it, I'm sure it hasn't been easy for the Anderson family, and while I don't know what their life has been like, and I, I hope I never have to know, I hope I never have to go yeah. through anything like that, I haven't seen a word of doubt or there's just no quit. And, and they're just – this team is really becoming stronger as a unit. And uh, the Bill Masterton trophy, if I had to pick right now, Craig Anderson would hands down be my favorite choice. Yep. Um, yeah, that's a good choice. Uh, obviously, I think we've already said our condolences to the family. But, again, our condolences to the family. Um, yeah, 2016 was a pretty good year for uh, sports, but uh, not so much for politics or celebrities. But – yeah. Um, celebrity deaths, but um, yeah, a lot of a lot of great things happened in sports. But yeah, with the we'll Cubs, the Cavaliers, yeah. um, you know, the Olympics had yeah, a lot. The Olympics, of history to it. exactly. Um, but yeah, um, everything else kind of didn't do so well. But that's why we have sports, you know. So we we're distracted from all the, the real life problems, um, for good or bad. Uh, Twitter, our Twitter account is lace them up. Um, is at lace them up. Um, wait, is it no? It's lace m podcast. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, and then our Facebook is lace them up. Um, but you can just search us on on those sites if you want. Um, you can e- also email us. What? Or whatever. Uh, you can like also Google. like just search us on Google. Oh yeah, you could. I guess you can Google us too. Yeah, that's true. Um, you can, uh, email us at, at laceupbag at gmail.com. Um, and then you can also, you probably already, uh, subscribe to SoundCloud or, uh, to us on SoundCloud or, um, subscribe to us on iTunes. Um, but please do that as well. Um, if you haven't already, um, or just, uh, uh, and also don't forget to like rate us, leave a review on iTunes. Uh, that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, yeah, honest reviews, we appreciate feedback. Yeah, both honest reviews. Yeah, any honest, any any honesty um, is greatly appreciated. Um, Happy New Year! I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth, and we'll talk again in episode 59 of the Lace Em Up podcast. <laughs>